Today we're talking about a man named Stephen that we find in the book of Acts. So I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read the Bible on and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Now if you don't have a Bible with you or an app on your device, feel free to grab one of the Bibles in the backs of the pews. Um, You'll find Acts in the New Testament, which is the, the last third of the Bible. It's fairly easy to find. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are pretty big books uh, in that section. And Acts is right after John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the book of Acts. And then you're going to get into uh, Romans and First and Second Corinthians. Uh, if, you've, if you're in anything that says I-A-N-S at the end, you've gone too far. You need to back up, back to Acts. Now, I'm probably confusing you at that point. If I've done that, just turn to the table of contents because that's the best way to find this book, one of the 66 that are contained here in this Bible. So Acts chapter 7. Now, as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about Stephen. Stephen, we don't know a lot about him up until Acts chapter 6 when all of a sudden Stephen is nominated and voted in to become a deacon in the early church, in the first church. And so if you were to look in Acts chapter 6, it tells us about the first deacons. And it tells us who they were and what they did. So I'm just going to read this. You can stay in Acts chapter 7 if you want. But this is Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, that means the Greek Jews, um, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew Jews, Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tangibles. Wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And now, so the the early church said, we don't need the the 11 disciples. They had elected a 12th one, so they have 12 again. They're calling them the apostles. The apostles were now having to take care of all these many things within the church And they were being consumed by things that weren't what God called them to do. God had called them to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. And so when the the physical needs of the church began to become more complicated, they elected seven men, one of them being Stephen, to be a deacon, a servant of the church who would do the distribution and take care of the daily needs of all the church members. So he becomes an active deacon. What we do see very quickly is that Stephen was a very bold man of God. He's going around telling people about Jesus. He is not shy. He is not ashamed. He doesn't care about persecution. He's just telling everybody he can find about his Savior. And so he goes telling everybody. And before long, of course, because of his boldness, he gets arrested. And he goes on trial, and during his trial, he gives this phenomenally beautiful, eloquent speech about the history of Israel and what that history means. You can find that entire speech throughout the book, uh, chapter 7 of the book of Acts. Now, it's beautiful. He lays out the entire history of the people of Israel leading up to Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick up. So take your Bibles 
your apps, whatever you're reading on, turn to Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 51. Chapter 7, starting in verse 51. This is Stephen talking. This is the conclusion of the great speech that he has given. You stiff-necked people. Whoa! That is a bold statement. Do you know who he's talking to? He is talking to the religious leaders, the judges, the people who pretty much hold his life in their hands. And he calls them stiff-necked people. Now, if you wanted to do a research, a little research on this statement... This is a statement that Moses uses about the people of Israel when they are disobedient to God. So he's not just making a bold statement, he's making an Old Testament reference on top of that. Okay, pick back up. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. Now when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. And they gnashed their teeth at him. That was a big insult back then, FYI. Gnashing your teeth, that's what they did. So they gnashed their teeth at him. Verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. Right? Can you imagine... Being there at this moment to witness what is taking place. First off, to hear the speech. This beautiful sermon that Stephen gives about everything in the Old Testament leading to the Messiah, to Jesus, the promised one. And then, because he sees Jesus standing at the throne at the right hand of God the Father and makes a statement about that, the Sanhedrin, the leaders rally the people together and begin to stone him. Now, um, let me just give you... Stoning was one of the cruelest ways of killing a person back in this day and time. The cross was probably the cruelest, but stoning was pretty close behind. What they would do is they would take a man and they would throw him in a shallow pit. And they would throw rocks at him until they had beaten him bloody. And then... When they got bored with it, when they got tired of it, they would pick up a large stone, a stone that six men would have to pick up, and they would lift it over him and just drop it, and that would be the death blow. Can you imagine going through something like that, and in the midst of it, making the statement that Stephen makes for forgiveness of those who are stoning? 
I have a big statement every time I give my, my sermons, and this is the big idea that I want you to think about today, because Stephen gives us the example of what Christian boldness is supposed to look like. And here's my statement. Fear of the physical will flounder your faith and freedom. When we fear the physical repercussions of what we might do for God, when we're afraid of the results and we act in fear rather than in faith, that fear will always hinder our faith and freedom in Christ. When we don't speak boldly, when we don't follow the leading of God, our faith and our freedom in Christ will always be affected in some way, shape, or form. Let's be honest for a minute. In American culture today, we have come to worship safety, haven't we? You know, we have this whole phenomenon that's nicknamed helicopter parenting. Uh, you've probably heard about it, you've probably read about it. Helicopter parenting is the, philosophy, the parental philosophy of guarding your children no matter how uh, dangerous or how minuscule what they're going through may be. You, you shelter them from everything. You, you wrap them in bubble wrap every time they go outside and you don't let them uh, get on a bike without a helmet. You can judge whether that's a good thing or bad thing. But I grew up in a time, and I'm sure many of you did too, when you would sit in the back seat as a three-year-old and there wasn't a seatbelt even for you because there were five kids packed in the back seat. Now, I'm not saying that seatbelts are bad. Don't hear me on that. Don't interpret it that way. What I'm saying is we have gone from a, a culture that safety was important, but it wasn't the highest value, to nowadays where safety seems to be the only value that we have. Safety is important. Don't, please, please, please don't misunderstand me. Don't mishear me on that. Safety has value. It is important. You better be putting your kids in a seatbelt. But we've taken it too far. We've taken it so far that our concern for safety hinders us from doing what God wants us to do. And that's where we've stepped over the line. We worship safety almost. We've made safety this idol that we, we constantly put in front of our lives. We don't engage in God's command for our lives because we worry about our safety. And let me give you some examples. As a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for like 16 years before I, before I became a, a different kind of pastor. I'm not going to get into that. The, but I did youth ministry for a long time. And guys, I love teenagers. I'm still very involved in, in ministry to teens. And I can't tell you how many times I've organized a mission trip and encourage the student to go, and that student or their parents will say, yeah, no, we're not going to let our kids go because it's just, it's a little too dangerous for us. You would hinder God's calling on your child's life because you're worried that God can't care for your child? You would stop God's movement in your child's life because you don't have enough faith in God to protect them? Guys, if God wants us dead, we're dead, right? If God wants you alive, you're alive! 
And so why in the world would we let physical fear hinder us from doing what God wants us to do? Is there risk? Yeah, but guys, there's more risk in getting in your car and driving down Scottsdale Road right after church. Put that in perspective for a minute. Our irrational fear of physical safety is hindering us from fulfilling what God's commands are for our lives. Let me give you another example. We don't tell others about Jesus because we're afraid of our emotional safety. Oh, well, I might get rejected. Oh, I might not know what to say. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really uncomfortable with, with telling, you know, I, I don't want anybody forcing their beliefs on me, so I don't want to force my beliefs on anyone else. But that's not what God's Word says. If you were driving a boat in a lake and you saw someone drowning, you wouldn't have that conversation about whether or not to throw them a lifeline, would you? Yet the people around us are spiritually dead in their sins and we have the lifeline of Jesus Christ that we can throw to them. But we don't do it because we're afraid that they might reject us or they might look down on us or they might make fun of us. Who cares? You have Jesus! And so we as followers of Christ should never be afraid of being bold in our witness when God calls us to. Now let me say a caveat here. That doesn't mean every time that you are with a person you should shove Jesus down their throat. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you should be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, you act. And don't let your fear stop you. Let me give you another example. We don't honor God's righteous boundaries for our lives because we're afraid of the safety of our own happiness. Guys, let me just dispel a myth right now. God is not primarily concerned with your happiness. Happiness is an emotion that comes and goes with every wave and wind and, and whim of life. God wants you to have everlasting joy, and joy is different but your happiness is not God's primary concern. We are supposed to be fulfilling God's commands for our lives. There are some boundaries to what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do as followers of Christ. As a husband, I have boundaries on what I do and what I don't do because I honor my wife. As a, a believer in Jesus, I have boundaries on what I allow myself to do and not to do because I love my Savior. My happiness can go to the trash if that happiness requires me to disobey God. And so we need to honor God's boundaries for our lives, whether we're going to be happy in that or not. And let's be honest, God's Word tells us that that happiness in sin is just fleeting. It's momentary and then it goes away. But joy in the Lord is everlasting. Let me give you one more example. We don't sacrifice for God because we're afraid of losing the safety of our comfort. And I think that's the one that we probably all worship to some extent as Americans. We worship our comfort. We're afraid to give up 
we're afraid to sacrifice something, whether it's time, whether it's resources, whatever it may be. We're afraid to sacrifice things because we go, oh, but if I go do that, I'm going to have to stand outside and and do something for God, and that's going to be uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. You know how hot it is? You know what? I just don't get around as well as I used to, so I can't sacrifice that. It's, it's just too much. Oh, you know what? If I give the way God calls me to give, then I can't have that subscription to Netflix and Hulu and HBO and all of those different services that I really enjoy and they bring me comfort. Guys, your comfort is not what you exist for. I don't exist on this earth for comfort. I exist for the glory of God. And when my comfort gets in the way of God's glory, I've made it an idol. When I fear comfort, my comfort, when I fear losing my comfort, when I fear damaging my ego or my emotions, when I fear physical safety and I don't live the life, the purpose that God has for me, I am not living for God at that point. I'm living for me. Look at Stephen. Did he care about his emotional well-being? Did he care about the rejection based on the message that he was bringing? Did he care if anybody rejected him or not? No. He didn't even care if they rejected him to the point of killing him because he knew that God came first. Stephen understood the priorities. He understood that when we fear the physical, it will flounder faith and freedom. Our faith and our freedom will always be affected negatively when we fear for our comfort and our safety and our emotions. What does the Bible say we're supposed to fear? God. Your emotional well-being will come and go. There are days when you wake up and you feel really good about life, and there are days you wake up and you don't feel very good about life, right? Our comfort will come and go. I guarantee you we're going to get out of this church and and we're going to go to Bible study. I hope you're going to a Bible study, by the way. And then you're going to get out about noon and you're going to walk outside and you're going to go, oh man, it's uncomfortable out here again. It got hot. Your comfort will come and your comfort will go. You see, all of those things are temporary. God is forever. God is eternal. And our existence, our purpose is to bring Him the glory. I want you to take your Bibles now and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. You're in Acts, so you're going to back up a few books. Acts, and then you're going to go to John and Luke and Mark and Matthew. So just back up until you hit the book of Matthew. It's a pretty big book, 28 chapters. So Matthew chapter 10 is where I want you to be right now. Matthew chapter 10. I want to look very quickly at what Jesus has to say about fear. About what this life is going to bring when we follow Him. So Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look, we're going to start in verse 16 and read through 23 and then skip down to 34. So chapter 10. Verse 16, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. 
On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it is not you speaking, but the Spirit for your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm in the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now skip down to 34. Skip down to verse 34. Look at what Jesus says here. Do not suppose that I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've said this before, but Jesus, following Jesus is not an easy commitment. It's a difficult commitment for many reasons. First off, our flesh is constantly battling against us. We constantly desire to do what we ought not to do, according to Paul. But according to Jesus, our faith means that we will be persecuted. We will be hated. We will have difficulty. You see, Jesus didn't die so that you could be safe. He died to save your spirit, your eternity. Your physical body is going to die. None of us get out of this alive. You realize that, right? Ten out of ten people end up dying. It's a guarantee. Unless Jesus comes back and swoops you up, you're going to die at some point. It is a fact of life. Every person who has ever been born has died except for Jesus. That's the way this works. Jesus didn't die for your safety. He died for your salvation. You see, Jesus didn't come as the Son of God to this earth and live a perfect life and die on a cross and then on the third day rise from the grave in victory over death. He didn't do that so that you could be physically safe. He did that so you would be spiritually bold. So that you would have courage and boldness to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's why he came and died. We can all have salvation if we believe and proclaim Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But guys, living for Jesus is not a walk in the park. It is difficult for so many reasons. And I don't want to discourage you, but I want you to understand that our safety needs to be in the back of our minds as something that we should watch, but it shouldn't be the top priority. It should be something that we're mindful of, maybe. You know, don't get in a car and not put your seatbelt on and say, Jesus, you're going to save me if I get in a car accident. That's not how that works either. But at the same time, if you're not doing what God has called you to do because you're worried about safety, you've misunderstood the cross of Jesus. And so what are we doing to live? You see, fear of our physical safety will always lead us away from Christ, not toward Him. 
When we're more concerned about our temporary bodies, it will lead us away. It's not what God designed us for. I've got a quote that I'm going to put up on the screen for you. It's by a, a man named J, uh, John A. Shedd. John A. Shedd was uh, one of the, the big, big businessmen uh, back in the day in Chicago. He is an industry, uh, historical uh, behemoth of a man. He made this statement, A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships were built for. Where's your ship? Does your ship have the courage to go out and live the purpose that it's been called to go and serve? Or are you keeping your ship, or maybe a harder question, are you keeping your child's ship in the harbor? I can keep it safe where it's not serving its purpose. Because when you go and serve your purpose, that's dangerous. Are you living the purpose that Jesus has for you? Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, there will be danger involved. Yes, there will be people who will not like you if you're living your purpose in Jesus Christ. But are you living that purpose? Are you leading others to the life-changing hope of Jesus? And are you doing that without fear? without the fear of the physical. So here's some closing questions. What fear is holding you back from living your purpose in Jesus? What is that fear? Is it financial? Is it physical? Is it the the fear of having to sacrifice time and comfort? What is the fear that is holding you back from living in the purpose that God has for you? Because every single one of us has a purpose. If you are physically bound to your home, you still have a purpose for Jesus. But are you living in that purpose? Are you fulfilling what God designed you to do? Or are you staying in the harbor where it's safe? And what needs to change in order for you to let go of that fear and live in that purpose? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you made us with and for a purpose for you. We thank you that you love us. And the Bible does say that you protect us. But ultimately our protection is eternal, spiritual, no matter what happens in the physical. So Lord, help us to live in courage and boldness for your name's sake, for your glory. The people who are lost, who are dead in their sins, would know you as their Savior. They would come alive in Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to live that way. Help us to be the men and women of God, living in purpose for you. We thank you again, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now out of this, we're going to have a time of response. And for some of you, maybe you need to pray. If you, if you need to pray and you want a place to pray, our altar is open. We encourage you to, to come down and kneel uh, at the altar. If you need to talk with someone, my name is Pastor Chad. I would love the opportunity to talk with you if you need to talk. If you've got questions about what it looks like to have Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to have that conversation with you. And I'll be available right here on this front pew if you'd like to do that. So let's stand and respond.